It's Conflict of Interest Night on Pie Factory Podcast. Hello, this is Greg, host of Super NES Podcast, and you're listening to the Pie Factory Podcast, which really should be called the Cement Factory Podcast, as, as Tendo says that level in Donkey Kong is really Cement Factory, but who am I telling these guys how to run their podcast? Rush, and an hour later, I was in Toledo. 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 Why didn't they take you to Canton? That's in Ohio. I don't know. Oh, um, hi, hi, uh, hi, everybody. Uh, this is the Pie Factory Podcast, episode number twenty-three, number twenty-three, number twenty-three, number twenty-three. Uh, to my southwest, and we're happy kids. Yes, and uh, southwest of here is um, you know him or you don't know him, Jimmy G. Yes, this is Jimmy G. And. Uh, um, they decided to close the uh, satellite office in Verona. I did a little talking, and they're allowing me to work from home now. So, And where would that be? That would be in Morris, Illinois. Well, I'm still finding myself in uh, Pie Factory headquarters north. Nobody's bothered to move me, so I guess I'm either lucky or unlucky in that regard. Oh, I didn't say who I am. Um, who are you? No, oh, gosh, no, no we're not no, doing no. that again. No, no, the who jokes. So I am in uh, Pie Factory headquarters north, which is located in Armenia City in the sky. Oh, I'm sorry. Another who reference. We decided between Jim and me that my name this week is going to be Indoor Kino. Indoor Kino. Indoor Kino, as opposed to the lawn Kino that they play uh, in Las Vegas. But then they don't have lawns out there, so how could you play lawn Kino? You know, lawn Kino was, was uh, I believe that was banned here because some kid put his eye out back in the 70s. That's entirely possible, but of course, everybody knows of the great Indian chief named Lon Kino. Of course. From uh, Bombay, if I'm not mistaken. Well, yes, actually, from Bombay, although he did dabble in New Delhi as well. I dabbled in the old Delhi. It's down the street from me. They made me a really nice sandwich. Oh, you know, before I forget, this, I did not write this down in my notes, so I want to say this now before we forget. Back in episode 10, when we were discussing Frogger and A, steroids, one of us, I believe it was you, had mentioned that um, Ed Log, who received a cease and desist letter from the attorneys of Walter Williams, because in an interview with Esquire, he had jokingly referred to the satellite and the flying saucer as Sluggo and Mr. Bill, respectively. Yes, I believe I did mention that. Well, I was finally listening to the latest episode of No Quarter, which was from like a month ago, so I was way behind. They were talking about asteroids. Turns out that the night we are recording episode 23, right now, January 19th, it is the 35th anniversary of the date that letter was written. No kidding. 1982, or actually, no, it was the 34th. It was written in 1982, I think. Or was it 1981? I think it was, I don't know. Feedback, babe. How have you been? I, I don't remember how I've been. I got a new microphone. Do you have two turntables and a microphone? No, no, just a new microphone. Actually, technically, I do have access to two turntables. One of them actually works. Maybe we should go... <laughs> we should do some scratching. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, consider that. Anyway, um, do you have any addenda or errata since we already talked about an addendum? Well, no, not really, but I do have some things to talk about. Oh, do tell. There have been quite a few things that have been taking place in Pie Factory world, especially with me, uh, Jimmy G. Correct me if I'm wrong, but am I to understand that for once you got to go to an arcade and I didn't? Yes. Uh, I had, did have to drag my, uh, my wife and children along. We went to um, Galloping Ghost, and what happened, and this was interesting because 
my wife took our oldest daughter to a speech tournament, so I took our other two kids to Galloping Ghost, and so they met us over there after we had been there for an hour or two. But apparently, they let my wife in without playing as long as she promised not to play games. So I thought that was... I think they only did that, though, because Doc knows her. Right, right. So that's that's a possibility, but... Because uh, normally at these places, if you walk through the door, you're expected to pay. It's an admission fee. It's yeah. not a game fee. It's an admission fee, right, because all the games are on free play. You know, it'd be just the same if you went to, like, a roller rink. I mean, you couldn't get in for free. I mean, because that's, that's an admission free. Great America. If you don't ride any rides, they still make you pay the 60, 70 bucks to get into that overpriced place. But interestingly, I... Uh, Played some games, and uh, me and the kids got uh, quite a few uh, of the achievements done in the uh, in the little achievement guides, which they haven't printed a new one for 2016 yet over there, but uh, eagerly awaiting. And I think we got enough to where we can get $5 off admission to our next uh, next visit oh, to sweet. Galloping Ghost. I'm going to try to make it, a, make it a point to try to get up there once every other month, uh, at the very least, because I just had so much fun, because that was the longest I had stayed there. The brilliance of this achievement guide that Galloping Ghost puts out. And uh, Doc Mack actually talked about it in, uh, in one of his podcasts. I, I mainlined all of the, uh, the Galloping Ghost podcasts, so I couldn't tell you which one. But the brilliance is it gets you to try games that you would never have probably tried before. Sure. So I had a lot of fun. I played like four or five games of Gyrus, and I, I broke my uh, record that I set at Underground Retrocade. In fact, I broke it twice at Galloping Ghost. First time, uh, not the first time, but the second time I played it, I got 123,300 points. And the funny thing is, I lost uh, the first couple of my lives within the first 10,000 points. And then I just, like, hit my groove, and I figured out some strategies to use in the game to to keep keep my game going longer. And after that, I decided to play it again a little bit later. And the second time, I got 134,250 so that was quite the achievement. It didn't quite get the 150,000 uh, I set for my goal, but uh, I'm almost there. The funny thing is, I was playing Gyrus um, like the next night uh, at home on MAME, and I could only get about half of my high score. And I think it has a lot to do with the controls because I don't have a, a, a controller currently that I can use to play on MAME. And using a keyboard just is for games like Gyrus just does not cut it. And I have a feeling that that's kind of what it is. I mean, maybe is perfect if you you know just want a quick fix of something, but it does not replicate getting to the arcade and playing it on the uh, with the controls that it was meant to be played with. Totally agree there. Yeah, I mean, you can use it for training, which uh, Doc Mac has uh, had a few conversations about about Mame on the Galloping Ghost podcast. And once uh, once again, if you're not listening to that podcast, please by all means do because that's. Uh, I mean, it's it's nothing fancy. It's no frills. It's it's about uh, about things that are going on coming up. It's about what's going on at the arcade and high scoring etiquette. That's pretty much all they talk about. Oh, that's a lot of it. But I mean, they also talk about stuff like uh, should you use uh, main for practicing? Should point pressing techniques be allowed for you know high score world record claims? By the way, Doc Mac admitted that his narc world record is from point pressing. I believe he did say that, yeah. It's Duke so, asked him, how did you get so high? He said, well, a lot of it's point pressing. <laughs> yeah, I think it was Jamie Tibbetts who said that, um, who brought up the term maim taint. And the way he was talking yes. is that if you so much talk about a game in any context, you're already you're already tainted. So it's like, you have, you have yeah. to be, are you kidding me? I did not know this, but they unveiled a new game on the floor uh, Saturday night at Galloping Ghost when I was there. They 
brought out a game called Sky Cursor. I thought it was Sky Cruiser. No, it's Sky Cursor. And um, I believe it was Vic from uh, the 10 Pence podcast uh, got in touch with us about interviewing these guys. And, of course, we just couldn't work it in because they were going to be around like the week before Christmas or something. And there was just no way we could we could work it out. But Yeah, uh, and they recently delivered that same game to uh, Underground Retrocade, too. Yeah, actually, Retro- Underground Retrocade got it before Go- Galloping Ghost. In yeah. fact, another arcade in the Chicago area got it before them as well, I believe. But uh, Galloping Ghost has the most current version of it. And I was the first to play it at uh, Galloping Ghost when it, when it came out. Holy crap, this is a fun game. Um, it's, a, it's a bullet hell game. But um, its visual style is intriguing, and it's pretty addictive. I caught myself continuing a few times, and after the second time, the guy goes, uh, why don't you let the other people waiting in line play it? I'm like thinking, oh, holy crap, have I been hit and continue? <laughs> <laughs> so it was. it's one of those games. It was way fun. Um, of course, I didn't have any of my Pie Factory business cards with me. But Oh, by the way, if you want any uh, Pie Factory business cards, just contact me or Sean through any of the various means, and we'll be happy to get you some out. And of course, um, yours truly, who uh, designed those business cards, was very smart in that he didn't put either of our names on it. No, but we can write those. Yeah, we can, we can. So there is that. And um, yeah, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to talk to the... Uh, I mean, I talked to the creators of the game a little bit, but unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to interview them because, first of all, uh, they were there a long time, and Doc was talking to them for a long time. There was a lot to say about the game. And uh, after a while, I was just not feeling good. So, I mean, we we pretty much had to leave because I don't know if it was dehydration or what it was, but I was just feeling pretty crappy by the time we left. So uh, I decided not to chance it and left. And we had been there for a full, when did we get there, 2 o'clock? We left at 8? We were there for a full six hours. So... One of these days, I'm going to get over there right at opening and stay until close. I just want to do that. I want to get out to that Rowan restaurant out there and try that uh, the Galloping Ghost Burger. That thing looks awesome. Mm. It's got uh, ghost peppers on it, ghost pepper sauce. I love ghost peppers. You know, I got to say, many of the time that I've gone to, say, Underground Retrocade when they open, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to stay here till they close, and I get burnt out easily. <laughs> like, well, I, I just can't. I, as I said a few episodes ago, that I wanted to try to get 150,000 on Gyrus. You're almost there. And so I'm almost there. Um, I guess the record is like 6 million. So just going a little bit at a time, making a little progress. And uh, the main reason I died when I did was I was going for points in a dangerous situation when I shouldn't have. I was taking irresponsible chances like. When you have the uh, have the double shot, the next round, whatever, we'll have instead of the I, the thing you got to shoot to get the double shot, I'll just have three of the little, I don't know, three-pronged satellite things. And those things are closer to the outside edge of where you are, and they shoot back. And um, that, I, I died more by those things than anything else in that game. So that was... Uh, how I why I died when I did because I was certain I was going to hit the 150 150k on that uh, before the night was over. So uh, there was there's all that the fun at underground or underground retrocade. I do need to get back there though. But um, that was uh, my it's only an 80 evening mile with drive. the family. What's the, big at, deal? the evening with my family at Galloping Ghost. My son was having a blast playing the Simpsons bowling game. And he kept trying to get 300 so he could mark it down in his uh, achievement booklet. But I'm like, I'm telling him, dude, that's going to be almost impossible to do. You really got to be good. Yeah, really got to be good to get that. But I didn't mean to discourage him, but 
I don't know if this is official. This is a rumor that I heard, but like this Capcom bowling at Underground Retrocade, I heard that if you get a 300, they'll give you a free pop. I don't know if that's true, though. Really? Yeah. Oh, check this out. Um, as I said, you got to listen to the uh, the Galloping Ghost podcast, but I was listening to the most recent episode of um, Ten Pence, uh, Ten Pence Arcade, and um, they are talking to Doc Mack because the one guy from the show came to Chicago. Of course, we couldn't meet up with the guy. I really wanted to, but just things just don't work out sometimes. And um, Doc Mack was saying in that episode that he's uh, he's working on a game called Dark Presence, which is kind of a Mortal Kombat fighter. I was trying to think of the name of that game. Thank you. Yes, Dark Presence. And what happens is if you can defeat the game on one credit, oh, yeah. the machine is suppo- it dispenses a little trophy. That is really cool. He, he said he has the trophies all made out and everything. So, Doc, if you're listening, correct us. But uh, yeah, so I think that's really cool. I'm not I'm not into fighting games at all, but uh, I'm interested to uh, see this one because he's been working on it for quite some time. It sounds like quite the machine. He's been working so. on that thing for years, I think. Well, he was saying it took him four years just to do the uh, the video capture, the filming on it. Wow. Yeah. So there's that. Um, and um, one thing we haven't done, and we saw this a while. I saw this a while back. I was bored at work. And I just, for the hell of it, uh, just Googled Pie Factory Podcast just to see what would come up. And I knew, you know, we'd get a lot of stuff on Facebook and Atari Age and, and our website and stuff like that. But this was a surprise. We were actually mentioned on an Indonesian blog page oh, from Indonesia. Yeah. yeah, and I had to I had to run it through Google. 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 I'm going to look that uh, up right Google, now. Google Translate. And... Uh, Translated into English, this is, uh, this is what it reads. Um, this is not a podcast on the cake, you know. Uh, I think in referring to the name Pie Factory. <laughs> Pie Factory offers a review of old school games in the ever-popular arcade machines. In Indonesia, this game is known as Ding Dong. It was a gaming machine like this on display at the mall or market, and, and to play, we need to insert coins. Ding Dong modern still may be seen in theaters or arcades and shopping centers. Pie Factory is very dense information, and sometimes the thrill-saking one episode could pass a duration of one hour. So if you're not familiar with arcade games like Donkey Kong, Xevious, Pac-Man, or Zaxxon, then this podcast is for you. We'll, uh, we'll post a link, uh, a link to, the, uh, to the blog. Uh, I believe if you're, uh, I believe most uh, modern browsers will automatically trans, uh, translate stuff if you uh, want it to, but uh, I don't remember the guy's name. But uh, you know what? Honestly, seriously, I mean, we, we have a lot of fun here, and we make fun of a lot of things and that, but uh, we love hearing people talk about our show in the po- you know, positively because it just makes it, keeps us going on, you know? So uh, I want to thank the, uh, the, author of this, uh, the author of this review that he actually found our podcast and is listening to it. To, to have an, a listener in Indonesia, that's, that's just amazing. Of all the countries in the world, I never thought we'd have a listener in Indonesia. I'm honored because I'm a Wonderments fan. Well, there you go. So anyway. once again, thank you very much, and uh, we'll uh, as long as you keep listening, we'll keep talking about our ding dongs. So, well, <laughs> we'll keep talking about ding dongs, not necessarily our. We'll, we'll keep talking about arcade games. How's that sound? Yeah. So so uh, yeah. As much as it's sad that we're not your podcast on the cake, we're very thankful for a lot of things, and. and uh, we're very humbled too because it's just amazing the generosity of people. You know, we've gotten some support from both Ferg and uh, uh, Phil the Nowhere Gamer, uh, the folks at the we've arcades. We've also had some listeners pay our bail. 
That's very true. You know, we were we were jailed during the great arcade riot of December 2015, and somebody randomly paid our bail. So yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you very much. And um, right now, we do want to take the time to uh, express our very sincere thanks to Jeff Prescott from the, the No Quarter podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, mm-hmm. He contacted us. He said, "Hey guys, I got I got a Christmas present for you," uh, so, and so we gave him, we gave him our addresses, and um, mm-hmm. we. Got the presents a few days ago, but uh, yeah, this guy's shown really amazing generosity. Like uh, my present was uh, two or three issues of Joystick magazine, ones that I never had, and it was just so cool to look through them. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, 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 oh! Hold on. One of the first things I did was I know I know from the other issue that I had from 1983. Actually, they're all from 1983 because the magazine didn't last that freaking long. So. <laughs> But uh, one of the things I did was I wanted to see if there was any, like, high score listings, and sure enough, there are. And Mm -hmm. I'm looking up right now, because I wanted to see if there were any more bogus scores listed. Because we all know, anybody who's seen, I think it was in uh, uh, King of Kong, how Billy Mitchell called Steve Sanders on his alleged Donkey Kong score. Mm -hmm. Well... Let's see, on page 63 of the, uh, what issue is it? The April 1983 edition of Joystick. There is a score listed for Doug Nelson for Pac-Man, November 12th, I'm guessing, 1982, Fun Factory in Bakersfield, California. On Pac-Man, he reports a score of 9,980,420. Find anything suspicious with that, do you? Um, Not off the top of my head. Wait, wait, what was the score again? It was, I just closed the magazine, (laughs) but it was well over 9 million. Uh Uh-huh. The highest possible score in Pac-Man is 3,360-some thousand. But did they know that back then, though? That's the thing. They didn't know that back then. The only thing that they knew of, and another issue of Joystick, you you remember the letter from that one guy from Australia who said, there's no way to get past the 255th screen Mm -hmm. without doing the rack test. The only way this guy could have gotten nine million, and Doug, if you happen to be listening, reach out to us and defend yourself, okay? <laughs> but the only way he could have gotten to that nine million, at least in 1983 or earlier, is to actually get access to the dip switches and flip the dip switch that activates the rack advancer. Mm-hmm. That's the only way he could have done it. True, that would be. And if you ever play Pac-Man and MAME and you look at the dip switch settings, it actually considers the rack skip to be a cheat. It actually says cheat in parentheses next to it. Well, which it really kind of is. Rack test, that's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously you use it to test, you know, test the different screens and whatever. But uh, but yeah, I mean, you use it during play, that that is a cheat. But Jeff, thanks so much for that. That was beyond thoughtful and uh, well, generous. He got me an issue of uh, Joystick Magazine as well, and I yeah, perused it a little bit. You only got one, but I got two. He likes me yeah, more. Yeah, uh, but uh, we're talking about the generosity of our listeners. He's heard me talking about the uh, the fact that I used to own a Sega Master System. He had a spare one lying around, and he sent me a Sega Master System. Wow. And I just about died uh, when I saw... I I contacted you to ask you know because we we knew he he had sent you know sent us for something for Christmas and I hadn't even gone upstairs. Um, I'd asked you if you'd gotten was it like a like an envelope or a box? You said well we got uh, an envelope thing and I'm like I think and okay. Uh, I hadn't gone upstairs yet because I was watching something on television. I can't remember what it was. I finally went upstairs and then I saw this gigantic box <laughs> from Jeff Prescott and I messaged you. I'm like. Um, 
he sent me a gigantic box, <laughs> and and I open it, and then there's this the this this envelope, this Manila envelope on top, and underneath the Sega Master System, complete in the uh, in the box. Uh, one thing I have to mention, it was uh, it was the base unit. It didn't come with the uh, the phaser gun, but I did find one on eBay, and uh, hopefully it will be here on Monday. And uh, the reason I say that is because the uh, the game that was included was a game that. Uh, is uh, it was the, the Sega Master System came with a came with a, a game that was like two games on the cartridge, depending. And um, I can't remember what the base system was, but the uh, what did they call it? The Master Package or whatever it was had uh, Hang On and Safari Hunt, and that's the one that was in there. And I'm like, oh, now I got to get a gun. But Safari Hunt is a great game, and I would say it's better than Duck Hunt on the NES. So uh, so I was I was not disappointed. I just Rushed onto eBay and found <laughs> found a phaser gun and bought snatched that up, and I uh, also went out and bought uh, a copy of one of my favorite games on the system, Zillion, which if you liked uh, if you liked Impossible Mission on other uh, consoles, including the actual Impossible one on the seventy eight hundred. Was this one possible? This is definitely possible, and I do okay. know and I do recall that. Uh, I did solve this game way back in the Ferg, and this is a fun and addictive game. The only problem with it, there's no battery saver or password, so you pretty much got to solve it in one sitting. But uh, despite that, it is a great, great game, one of the best titles for the Sega Master System. Now I just got to get Fantasy Zone and Fantasy Star. Uh, I loved Space Harrier on it. Oh, I found uh, Zaxxon 3D at the uh, at a, uh, uh, a used game store up near where I work. And uh, Sega had the most awesome 3D glasses for the Master System. Uh, you can't do them on the Master System too. It has to be the, the original Master System because it plugs into the card slot. And um, Zaxxon 3D, I believe, is the only 3D game on the Sega Master System that does not require usage of the glasses. When you power it on, you hit the pause button on the console, and it brings up an option screen, and you can select it to, to, to 2D, so it, you will see it in 2D format. And so I had no problem buying that one. Quite honestly, I don't remember Zaxxon 3D being one of the easier games, but uh, I still have a pretty decent time with it. So seriously, Jeff, dude, you know, thank you. I mean, my mother-in-law is getting, getting pissed at me for thinking that I'm buying all of this all of this stuff and uh but dude this is awesome I can't thank you enough and by the way show I don't know if I should tell you this but um your Christmas isn't done yet I'm just throwing that out there right now oh? so so Christ yeah. is still being born man I feel sorry for Mary pretty much yeah yeah the um, longest labor ever yeah yeah and if you, you know, think after that what, Jesus was most years? likely born in April man she's been in labor a long time Yes, indeed. So huh. your Christmas is still going on. My so. brother still owes me a birthday present from October. He told me three weeks ago, yeah, you're going to get it at the end of the week. I still haven't gotten it. Well, it's been a pretty long week. Yeah. I mean, now be fair. Anyway, uh, what, uh, what, what's that you say? What ye do say um, we should what's possibly talk about, like, say. Well, don't we have a arcade memory oh, to play? We have a arcade memory. Yes, yeah, so why don't we play that right now? Yes, why don't we? Uh, do we have an intro for that, or are we just going to go straight into it? Uh, I was going to do the other one that I did last time, but that's eh, just kind of dopey sounding. So uh, let me just... You know what? I can't think of anything right now. So All right. let's just say, play the memory. <laughs> 
that sound effect was at no cost to you, the consumer. Hello, Pie Factory. This is Greg, a.k.a. Soblazer, uh, host of the Super NES podcast, coming at you with my arcade memories. I am a bit younger than you guys. I was born in 76. Uh, so I unfortunately missed the golden days like the arcades, uh, like in the late 70s to early 80s. I mean, I do vaguely remember being in a couple arcades as a very, very young kid. I, I vaguely recall playing some of the classics of, like that era, uh, such as like uh, Pac-Man and the uh, Asteroids and the uh, uh, Centipede and some other and Space Invaders and some other games. But I really don't have any salt memories just because of how young I was. Uh, I wish I had been a bit older so I really could have experienced what it was like to be able to, to live through that time period. But most of my arcade time was spent in arcades between the years 1986 to 1998, approximately. There was, I grew up mostly in the town of Amherst, New Hampshire, which moved to like in 84. And there was a small town arcade. I don't remember the name of it now, unfortunately, that was in the next town over. Uh, I could get my parents to take me over there occasionally now and then. Uh, there was also Chuck E. Cheese that was nearby where I remember having a couple of my birthday parties at. Uh, this is back in the days when they were actually still like pretty cool because they had the ball pit and, like, and everything else. So that's pretty much how I got most of my arcade playing time during the 80s. Contrary to popular belief, uh, there were a lot of good arcade games that were in the arcades from the late 80s to the mid-90s. They weren't all fighting games. Obviously, the arcades had never had never really quite recovered like what they were uh, in the pre-crash days, but there were a lot of good games that were in the arcades. I have a lot of fond memories of playing games like uh, Rampart, uh, both the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle games, the Simpsons game, uh, some of the Gradius uh, games that were you know, that appeared in the arcade, Tangan's Tetris, Smash TV, and there were a bunch of other oh Zybots. And uh, there were a lot of other uh, shooters and puzzle games uh, that were in the arcades. Uh, some of the Neo Geo games, like Metal Slug. It wasn't all just fighting games. I, I mean, yeah, there were a lot of them in there, but especially after Street Fighter Two and Mortal Kombat took off. But there's still, but shooting puzzle games were also like very popular niches, and there was always a steady stream of those games that came in and out. Uh, Double Dragon one and two. I certainly have a lot of fond memories, like playing, like playing there. I'm sure there'd be other games if I thought about it, but uh, it was just simply a lot, a lot of a, a lot of fun games uh, to be able to experience. I actually do have a good Mortal Kombat story. I know you guys are not very big fans of the game, and truth be told, I'm not a huge fighting game uh, fan myself. But I will always like remember this: that, like Mortal Kombat came out, I was not yet old enough to drive like when the game came out, but there was an announcement that the arcade owner uh, of that small town uh, arcade I was talking about earlier, uh, he would mail us uh, postcards or newsletters about once a month talking about which new games that he had, the, the, which new games that he had there, uh, coupons to, to buy two tokens and that kind of stuff. So one month, this one, the, the, a postcard comes in talking about this new fighting game they call Mortal Kombat. They said it was bound to make an impression. And he invited uh, anybody who wanted to, wanted to to come down for what he called uh, the grand opening, uh, in which he was going to personally show the game off to all of us. I was intrigued enough by that. I'd heard a little bit about this game. It was supposed to be like a very revolutionary new fighting game. And I was curious enough, so I convinced my dad to take me down there and drop me off and drop me off like with friends, like for a few hours, uh, like some like some allowance money and there was about well, I'd say about 50 of us who like, are probably in there and um, and unfortunately 50 people trying to crowd around and see an arcade machine doesn't really work all that well especially if it's like when the kids were all very ages so there were a lot of standing on chairs standing on standing on boxes that kind of stuff just like, like trying to see the people try to see the machine 
So the owner, he obviously had practiced on the game for a couple of days. He talked to us real quick, like about like what the game was like, how it operated, um, and he showed us like one of the matches. And at first, it's like okay, it's a pretty impressive looking uh, fighting game. Nothing really, nothing really to write home about. Well, I don't remember anymore after all these years. Well, who the two fighters were that the, the guy who was playing versus the guy who was facing. But he did the fatality move of ripping out the guy's uh, spine, uh, like out of the body. And all of our jaws just hit the floor when we saw that. That was totally mind-blowing. None of us had even thought about anything remotely even like that ever appeared, like ever appearing like an arcade game. And not only did he correctly uh, have us uh, have us all down there to see this game, this brand new game, he also very wisely left the machine on free play the rest of that day. So you can imagine the combination of seeing of seeing that fatality plus the free play it was like. It was a crack, uh, like the most of the kids, myself included. We were hooked, and the machine proved to be, proved to be so popular that he must have ordered about, I distinctly remember, two other Mortal Kombat's. There may have been another, a third one, like in there too, like at one point. And that machine must have must have made some serious, serious money of like that place. So eventually, the novelty wore off, but it really made an impression for me, not only because of kind of the end of the old era, but also, I suppose, the beginning of the new one, uh, in which graphics and violence and that kind of stuff is going to be a lot more important, or at least or, or at least a lot more than has been shown like some, like, like some of the old classic arcade games. So, eventually I went to college in 94... And uh, I was still in New Hampshire at the time. I went to college uh, in state. I went to uh, I went to school at a, uh, I went to school at a small state small state college. I was then called Plymouth State College uh, in Plymouth, New Hampshire. It's now called Plymouth State University. Uh, back then, it was just a college. But um, it's up there in North New Hampshire, uh, like between the the lakes region, the lakes region, and the mountains. Pretty small. Not really a whole lot to do there, especially during this time period, ninety four, ninety eight, when we didn't have internet or cable like available like in our rooms. And some of the uh, towns around us were still pretty small. We hadn't even really gotten any of the big chain stores or chain attractions like in them yet. One thing we did have nearby, uh, nearby though, uh, about a half an hour drive, like for us, give or, uh, give or take, depending on traffic, was we had Fun Spot, the great classic arcade Fun Spot. In those days, the whole retro gaming boom hadn't really started yet, so Fun Spot was a bit smaller than what it is now. There was two floors, uh, like a Fun Spot back then. The ground floor would have newer games. Uh, it had the snack bar. It, it had the ski ball. Like it had some of the. Um, uh, some of the ticket redemption machines and some of the and some of that stuff. The older games were on the second floor, and it's and it's there. And it's there. I came across a whole slew of games I either had never played back then uh, earlier, or had uh, or not played for a long, long time. Me and my friends would go down there usually about once a month or so, uh, and I always made a beeline for machines like Star Wars and Time Pow and Gyrus. Uh, those were all games I absolutely loved. They had some good pinball games there too. Uh, Star Trek: Next Generation is my favorite all-time pinball game. Uh, so, and that was really my first exposure to pinball. Also, like also fun spot. Well, I played pinball a little bit before that, but really, this is where I really had got my main introduction to, to pinball games. And it was a blast. It really was a lot of fun to be able to, to a lot of fun to be able to have that arcade there so so close. I've not been up there since since '98. I've been meaning to go up there at some 
point. I just don't want to go up there by myself. I know the people here in New England who are interested in making a trip. I've just been trying to coordinate things and haven't really had a lot of success yet. But I will make it up there again eventually sometime soon, especially, especially since they've expanded and added on that third floor since then. So after I graduated from college in 98, uh, there really weren't any arcades around me anymore, like where I went to school, uh, to grad school at and after that. Uh, so, that's, so, that's, so, so that was pretty much the end of it, the end of it like for a long time. Eventually, I moved to Providence. Uh, there is a D&B, a Dave & Buster's cl- close by here, which I go to every now and then. They have some good games. Uh, it is nice to be able to go in there to play the new games, such as the, uh, such as the new uh, Star Wars game, which is absolutely great. They don't have very many classic games, of course. Uh, they really only have the um, the combo machines, Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Junior, and the Mario Brothers, and the and the uh, class of class of eighty one machines. But um, it is nice having a somewhat decent arcade like nearby. So I'm glad to see them existing still in some way, shape, or form. Uh, even though I'd be the first one to admit that DMB is a far cry different like from the old the old arcades of yesteryear. But anyway, I'm really loving the podcast. You guys are doing a great job like your games coverage. I'm looking forward to each new episode like when it comes out. And I hope you guys keep up all the awesome work. Thank you again. And thank you again for your support. And take care. Okay. Uh, well, thank you once again there, Soul Blazer. Yeah, it's interesting how he's, he's talking about how he you know, he's like, yeah, I don't care much for Mortal Kombat either. But then he goes on to tell, he's like, man, it was so awesome. I, I, re- <laughs> I remember that. And I, was, I thought it was interesting. That uh, he's he was saying that uh, he was born in '76, so he missed the uh, missed the arcade era. And I'm like, dude, you're not much younger than us. He's only <laughs> two years younger than me. He's uh, well, he's he's probably let me see, '76, about forty. So, uh, so Soul Blazer, send us your uh, send us your social security number, and we will make sure that we don't open up any credit cards in your name. We we just won't mm-hmm. do that, not mm-hmm. at all. But um, something that was has been. Kind of irking me lately. We had that whole issue with, uh, is it pronounced Galaga or Galaga? We finally found out the official pronunciation is Galaga, which we have been good at pronouncing correctly now. Both That's of us. That's right, and I'm, pr- I'm proud of you. But there's the arcade game Gradius. He, along with a lot of other people I know. It's and Gradius. Doc Mac, they pronounce it Gradius. If you listen to that, uh, to the clip again, uh, Soul Blazer pronounces it Gradius. Hmm. It's Gradius. I've always pronounced it Gradius. Is it Gradius because you've always pronounced it Gradius or because that's what the manufacturer says? Well, I have no idea. The uh, If you really want to get uh. technical, the, re- the real name of the game is Nemesis. Of course, I didn't know it was ne- uh, Nemesis was the overseas name of the game. But if you, want to th- if you really think about it, Nemesis, Gradius, it, it just has the same kind of feel to it. So it makes more sense to me. But, uh, well, I have an anonymous source who just handed me a note that says um, it's a Japanese game, Gradiusu, and when it reached the United States, it was pronounced Gradius. Gradius. Which actually makes sense because it does look kind of like a Latin word. The only thing is the I, if it was an E, I, could, I would pronounce like that, but the I throws me off. But I am one of these people that like pronouncing things that the way they're supposed to be pronounced. But how did you say it again? Gradius. Gradius. Okay, well... If that's well, the this official... is coming from the same guy who said Minuete. Minuete. Well, come on. Be fair. I mean, I have heard other people pronounce it that way. So, yes, it's a minutia, but Minuete just sounds more continental. It sounds like a dance. Ooh. Shall we do the Minuete with the ding-dong? We are going to get so much <laughs> mileage out of the ding-dong. 
<laughs> Speaking of which, we haven't said anything about Tinkle Pit yet. Tinkle Pit and the Ding Dong. Every time Doc Mac announces a new game about to be unveiled, I keep telling him, Tinkle Pit. It's Tinkle Pit. I know it's Tinkle Pit. <laughs> what, was it, what was unveiled this week? I was just going to say, the game they revealed uh, Monday the 18th of January 2016 was Bagman. Oh, no way! Yeah, I hate that game. Oh, it's just so freaking man. hard, but I was just I was I was spending after they unveiled it, I was watching videos on YouTube about how uh, how this one person uh, gets past uh, past the first level, and I saw that it is indeed possible to get through the first level without lo- losing a life, but it yeah, takes like it. nine or ten minutes. It didn't take me that long. Well, the, the way that this guy oh, did it, it took nine or ten minutes. So. Oh, that's awesome! And what I don't understand is, and I and I commented this on their uh, on their Facebook page, is that I think it was on their most recent podcast. Somebody asked Doc, uh, "When will you be reaching critical mass where you just can't fit any more games?" And he said, "Well, we already have reached that. So where are these games going?" In the most recent um, Galloping Ghost uh, podcast, I believe they did talk about how they're getting the uh, getting the space and the expansion is going to be a three part project. Actually, yeah, getting and going to be that doesn't mean they have it now. So where are these games going? Well, that's because he has he does talk a lot about going. On raids of warehouses, and I have been thinking, where do you keep them in the meantime? I mean, you got to have a warehouse somewhere else, or is there more space in this building that we don't know about? Or, I mean, if they have more space in the building that we don't know about, uh, I guess it's possible that they could, as they fix them up, you just say, okay, this part of the building's open now, or something like that. But Unless he's they also keep said one, one part back. of the uh, one part of the expansion is going to be taking the machines that have got like two or more games in them, and none of them are emulated, by the way. Yes. And uh, actually giving every, all of the games their own cabinets eventually, which, you know, awesome. I love that. I think that's great. But, um, oh, by the way, one thing I forgot to mention, they did a few weeks ago introduce a new game. It was it was called Castlevania Arcade, which I thought Castlevania was an arcade game in the first place, but unless they don't count the uh, Nintendo versus cabinet, which... I have seen that on in the arcade, the original game. But this is pretty cool because you hold a hold a device kind of like a, a Wiimote for a Wii. You know, in Castlevania, the guy's got like a chain or a whip or something that he uses to destroy. And um, this game was like that, except it was like kind of like a first person, you know, first person rail shooter type thing. And um, it's pretty fun once you get uh, the game started. And that was a, actually a little bit of a pain because you have to make selections. And since this game wasn't released in the United States, there's no way to convert the uh, <laughs> convert the text to English, which they have several games like that actually at uh, Galloping Ghost. But uh, once you get past that, it's a, it's a pretty fun game. My daughter was getting tired of it. She didn't want to play it with me anymore. But, but uh, you might want to check that out. It's in the back of the little room way in the back. So... Is uh, do we have anything else that we need to uh, to talk about before we dive on into the games? Um, I do not believe so. We do have other uh, feedback that we'll get to in future episodes. In future, um, but I do believe that uh, maybe perhaps we should talk about uh, a game or maybe two games. Well, why don't we just start about talking about one, and then okay. as soon as we get the hang of that, we can talk about two. Sound good? Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So I think what we should talk about, because I actually have notes on it right up in front of my face. Uh, Let's talk about elevator action, shall we? E elevator action. E elevator action. 
So see, I say e, you say ah. ah so that's e. how we that's how we do things here. Ooh. When I use the interjection, I say e elevator action. Uh, maybe I'll start using uh, words that use the letter W as a vowel. Of course, I only know of one, and that's coom. But yes, CWM. CWM. But elevator action. Ah, why elevator action? Why? Because it's the first game we're talking about. Um, elevator action, you play Agent 17, and you're in the top of a building. And uh, I kind of like the uh, the opening uh, the opening uh, animation, where you see like this cable that's shooting from off screen, and it attaches to the top of the building, then you see a guy sliding down, and then you get into the elevator, and then the elevator starts going downwards. Every floor has got doors. And out of these doors come enemy agents. Well, first of all, let me explain the control panel. You got a joystick and two buttons. You have a fire button and you have a jump button. Did some experimenting with the fire button uh, this afternoon, actually, and you can have. It, it's kind of weird the way it shoots. You can have. You can only shoot three bullets at a time, but it appears to me that you can't shoot again until the third bullet you fired leaves the screen. I have to test that some more, but it does appear to be the way we, uh, it looks to me. Then you also have a jump button, and the jump button not only jumps, but it also does like a karate kick thing. So you can, at that point, to dispatch the bad guys, is you can shoot them, or you can jump on them, uh, you know, doing the karate chop. I don't think you can die if you touch them. Uh, however, if you touch them, most likely they'll just fire a bullet at you, and then, you know, you're dead anyway. But there is one other way that you can kill the enemy agents, and uh, you can either kill them that way, or sometimes they'll just do it themselves. You know, maybe I should explain uh, a little bit about the elevators first. Uh, the elevators constantly go up and down. You know, they stop at every floor, boom, 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 until you get in the elevator, and once you're in the elevator, you can control it by pushing up and down on the joystick. Left or right moves the guy left or right across the fields. There are also escalators in the game, even though it's called elevator action. I guess elevator and escalator action just was too wordy of a title. How about up and down action? I can't understand what would be wrong with that. Well, there is already an arcade game called Up and Down. So, you know, there's... Oh, you are talking dirty. <laughs> so, if you encounter an escalator, if you're at the top of it, there's like a... Or at, the, at the top and bottom of each escalator, there's like a red, like... I'll just say square, even though it's kind of a... Not trapezoid, but uh, rhombus, I guess. I don't know. It's some sort of quadrilateral. Yes, it's a quadrilateral. Anyway, if you're at the top of the escalator and you're standing in the box and you push down, you'll go down the escalator. If you're not in it and uh, at the bottom of the escalator, you push up, you'll go up the escalator. Self-explanatory. Um, and then there are doors. On all of the levels. And most of them are blue, but every now and then you'll encounter one that's red. Red ones have a little box in front of it. What you have to do, uh, the object of the game, is to open up all the red doors and get the secret documents inside and get to the bottom of the building. Now, to get the documents out of the door, it took me a while to figure this out because I remember back when I uh, played these, this game way back in the Ferg, uh, I would stand on the thing and just wiggle the joystick until he went in because I couldn't get it. What you just do is just stand on the, the block for just a moment and then push the direction of the door and you'll just go right on in. Once you figure it out, it's easy as pie. Now, if you're standing on a floor, you can crouch down and you can shoot your, you know, you shoot your gun while you're crouched down or when you're jumping in air, which is kind of nice. You cannot crouch when you're in the elevator because at that point, the up and down control the direction of the elevator. You cannot use it to duck in the elevator, so you got to keep that in mind. 
All the while, the enemy agents are shooting at you. One other thing in the game is there are lamps hanging from the ceilings of most of the levels. There are some darkened levels that don't have any lamps at all. Uh, you can't see the doors either, but they are there. Now, if you shoot out one of the lamps, it will fall, and it will black out the screen for a while, and supposedly it makes the enemy agents confused and act react a, little, a lot slower because they can't see it. Makes sense. So, at this point, there are four ways that I have counted that you can kill the enemy agents. First one, shooting. Duh. Second, karate chop. Duh. The third one is if you shoot out a lamp and one is standing right under the lamp, the lamp will squash the enemy agent and killing him. And then the other one is you can actually crush them with the elevator. One thing you can do is you can jump, your, your character can jump across the elevator shaft as long as the cable does is not connecting the elevator to the to the ceiling. And at the very bottom of the shaft... Can you dig him? Always looking so cool. Can you dig it? Um, you can walk across there, and so can the bad guys. And if one happens to be walking across there, you can you move the elevator down and crush him. Or sometimes they will walk on top of the elevator, and you can do that too. And if he's on one, and then you time it right, and you push it up, then if you push up on the joystick, you can crush him against the ceiling. Kind of wish I would be a little more bloody... But there you go. I am a scuzzball. Sometimes I had I did the last game I played before we recorded tonight. I actually did see I did see an enemy agent walk on top of one of the elevators, and the elevator was just doing its normal floor to floor thing. And I actually saw him kill himself. He just walked right on top of the elevator. The elevator went up, and he got crushed between the elevator and the ceiling. <laughs> I'm curious. Did you notice if you actually scored any points for that? I did not. Or do you notice. only score points if you actually? Okay. I did not notice. I do have to check that out, which means I won't. So the only way you can die is by being shot or being crushed by an elevator yourself. And uh, I've done that on accident a few times, and uh, it's kind of stupid. Oh yes, you can also fall down the elevator shaft. I noticed that if you push toward the elevator shaft, it will not make you fall in the elevator shaft immediately. You have to keep pushing for it to happen. And if you try jumping across an elevator shaft and you have the cable for the elevator between you and the other side, you will hit the cable and fall to your death. And I have done that before just to see if I could do it. At that point, and I don't remember if there's a timer on this game. I don't think there is. Dude, you have to get all of the documents out of the red doors and then go all the way to the bottom of the of the screen. And then at the end, you get in your car, you drive away, you get some bonus points, and then you come to the next building. Yeah, I don't believe that you actually are timed. In fact, I think they talked about that on, uh, on a recent uh, Galloping Ghost podcast, uh -huh. that in elevator action, there's no timer, which tells me that you can just sit there and point press all you want, just keep firing at agents, shooting them away. That's what of they were course, saying, the yes. Is, yeah, you only get 100 points, so... Take forever to rack up a decent score by doing that. And here's something interesting too: if you get to the bottom of the the building and you miss one of the red documents, the game will put you on the same level where the last red document was, no matter where it is in the building. It'll put you near the on the same level as the one you missed. So if you miss one and you're like it was all the way up like on the thirtieth floor, you could ignore that, go all the way back down to the bottom, killing people. And then they'll send you right back up, and you could just keep doing that. So you could point press, but I think I would probably get pretty bored of that after a while. But there is indeed that point pressing that you can do on that. But that, in a nutshell, is pretty much the game. 
I've noticed uh, in doing some research, I noticed that it was released as its own game in the arcade, but it was also as a conversion kit for Jungle King and Jungle Hunt. And it wasn't a typical Tato. Has that ever been uh, settled, how you pronounce the name of the company? Because I'd always call it Taito or Tato. I'm pretty sure that it would be Taito. Taito? I think the AI diphthong pronounced as a long A is only... Taito, it's a Japanese company. I'm pretty sure that A and I in Japan and everywhere else except like where English and French are spoken, AI is A-E-I, Taito. So A and E together, Taito. 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 So Taito sounds like a snack. New Nabisco Taito. But I'm not talking your sex. Oh, wait a minute. That's a George Carlin bit. The, uh, the game was in a typical Taito cabinet for its day. A zookeeper was in the same type cabinet in Jungle King. It was just green. It said Taito on the outside, like like a black you know stripe running around the edge of the uh, cabinet itself. And it was a conversion kit for Jungle King, and there was one other game. I can't recall which one it was off the top of my head. The graphics are kind of primitive, but not out of line with other Taito offerings of the day. And yeah, they're primitive, but they don't detract from the gameplay. No, play. they don't. But if anything... For the life of me, don't know why this didn't bother the hell out of me when I first played this at, uh, (laughs) first played this way back when. That theme music that constantly plays in the background is just terrible. It is like the whiniest piece of music I had ever heard in my life. It's just horrible, and it it sounds out of tune. And it's like, and it's, oh, it's like scraping your fingernails on a blackboard and, or, you know, rubbing a balloon or something. It's just terrible, terrible, terrible. The game itself, I kind, I kind of like the game. It's not a great game, but, you know, you can do worse. You could spend a token worse ways, I guess, in the arcade. I liked it enough to where I bought the adaptation they created for the Nintendo Entertainment System, which was pretty spot on. But um, what do you have to say about elevator action? Yeah, I meant to play that in the NES, and I haven't done that yet. Um, I'll check that out. I remember it being a fairly faithful translation. What I have to say about uh, elevator action, I'll be honest with you, not a heck of a lot. And that's why I really, uh, I didn't really say much here because I don't really know the game that well. I played it a lot over the last couple of weeks to prepare for the show. Our original premise for Pie Factory Podcast was to talk about our memories of the game, and I just, I remember hearing about it back in the Ferg, but I never, ever actually saw it. And the first time I ever played a uh, actual elevator action wasn't even an actual elevator action. It was at the uh, the podcast machine that's at Underground Retrocade, mm-hmm. where they load up the machine with whatever game uh, one of uh, two or three arcade podcasts talk to. Like, if there's something they talk about that they don't actually have on the floor, they'll load it up in a uh, in a custom cabinet for that week or two. And that's how I played Elevator Action the first time. And I, I liked it, but I didn't love it. And that's my, my overall feeling right now. It's a unique concept. Okay, I don't have memories of the game itself, but there is a memory I have to share here. Uh-oh. Back when my wife and I lived in New Jersey, we would still come out here to visit family. And uh, because we're big Beatles fans, we used to go to Beetlefest a lot, which was held at the Hyatt Regency O'Hare. You hear that, Ferg? One time we were here for Beetlefest, we called a friend of ours who actually now lives literally uh, a block and a half away from us. Oh, but uh, we, call, we called him up. He said, we said, hey, meet us at the Hyatt. And he's like, okay, I'll be right over. And so we met him at the Hyatt and we were in the lobby. And Did somebody get crushed by the elevator in the lobby? I don't remember if it was that night. But 
The thing is like the lobby of the Hyatt Regency O'Hare, they have those exposed elevators and it looks all fancy and stuff. Uh-huh. And our friend said, wow, this place looks like one of those early 80s elevator movies. Elevator and, movies? Yeah. Okay. I kind of understood what he was saying. You know, years later when I saw him, I asked him to if he could explain what elevator movie it was. I, I have an audio recording of him explaining it somewhere, but it was a movie I heard of, but it was actually from the late 80s, so I don't know. But um, anyway, while I have the floor, uh, which is very heavy, by the way. I just want to add that uh, the music was done by Yoshino Imamura. So we know who to blame. I don't remember how much he said about the scoring. Uh, you get 100 points for shooting an enemy agent. Uh, if you do the kick move on the enemy agent, you get 150 points. If you drop a light on the enemy agent, you get 300 points. Oh, wow. And if you get a secret document, that's 500 points. Now, here's something that I didn't see documented anywhere, but I'm pretty sure this is the case. Hmm. If you shoot an enemy agent in the dark... I'm pretty sure you get 150 points for that. I have to double check that, which means I won't. We're going to put together a clip. Sh- no, you know what? What I'm going to do, like for one episode, we're going to listen to every time you said that you're going to have to check on that. And we're going to see if you actually did. Oh, I know I didn't. So. <laughs> I can tell you right now I'm not going to check on this stuff because that's because I'm lazy. According to my well, wife. me too, but I'm not lazy enough to say do some further research, such as uh, high scores on this game. Okay, I'll say, oh, wow, that's interesting. I won't check on that. I'll do that from now on. That sounds very, very fair. That sounds fair. So, but um, when I was playing this, I played this in MAME primarily, of course. Mm-hmm. I just could not get past the first building. I just couldn't. There was one time I was able to get to the car, but I had to go into the uh, dip switch settings and jack up the number of lives to like six or whatever the maximum is. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, I just could not do it. This game looks like it could be easy, but it is not easy. And it's pretty difficult. Here's the thing. Because, as I was mentioning, you can kneel and you can shoot. I don't think in the first building that the enemy agents can do that. But on the starting of the second building, they can kneel and shoot at you, which means you have to jump over them. And then I read, and I've never seen this, but because I've not really gotten this far, I can get past the first building with ease. The second building is more of a uh, challenge, and I can't get very far in the third building. But I have not seen this, but I hear that starting on the third building, they actually lay down on the floor and shoot at you. Which means that they shoot at you from a position that you cannot shoot them at. Wow. I read one one source said that in the first building, they shoot at you when they stand, and they don't actually kneel and shoot at you until the next building. That's dead wrong. I know I've been shot at from people kneeling in the first building after going down of several levels. I don't doubt that. I can't say that I've encountered that mainly because I just don't remember. I know it's probably true. Unless it's a dip switch setting, which is always a possibility. It could be. That could be, yeah, because I do believe you can adjust the uh, the difficulty. In fact, yeah, you can adjust the difficulty settings on these uh, on this game, as evidenced by uh, the high score records and what they imply. And uh, let's talk about that right now. Well, why don't we talk about that right now? No, wait a minute. Let's talk about it right. Mm, wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Mm, now. Oh, you missed it. No, I'm going to talk about it right now. So... I'm the host this week. I talk well, about it when I, when I talk about it. Well, so, well, yeah. well. High scores, uh, settings uh, for bonus life at, at uh, 10,000 points. According to Orcade.com, which is a site that not only records high scores, but it can also tell you where certain games are located in case you want to play something, you want to see if it's in your neck of the woods. For marathon settings, actually both marathon and tournament settings, they have Steve Wagner um, having the world record performed at Richie Knuckles Arcade in 2009. Marathon settings, 
Um, October 15th, he scored 127,350. And tournament settings on April 17th, he scored 103,400. Now, according to Twin Galaxies, before I go on to Twin Galaxies, those of you who kind of sort of know what Twin Galaxies is, but don't really follow it all that terribly much if you're not like a really hardcore gamer, they now have a new way to accept scores. What you can do is upload a video of your game. Oh, nice. And Twin Galaxies users can actually vote and decide whether or not it's legit. Oh, that's good. It's what they call TG SAP, Twin Galaxies Submission and Adjudication Process. Ask for it by name. Twin Galaxies has scores for two different tracks, tournament settings normal difficulty and tournament settings hard difficulty. Normal difficulty, once again, Steve Wagner, which was verified on October 16th, 2015 by this new TG SAP system. Uh, has a score of 156,550. Now, for hard difficulty, and the note on Twin Galaxies said that this setting is only to be used for Fun Spot 2002. Huh. And the person who scored the world record for the hard settings at Fun Spot 2002 was Cameron Feltner, uh, verified June 2nd, 2002, with a score of 84,200. Makes me feel good because uh, I think I scored only about 70,000 less than that, so I don't have far to go. Now, what I find interesting is that there are also tracks on Twin Galaxies for uh, how far can you get and levels completed, which I do believe I heard them talk about uh, how there should be tracks for those when they were talking about that on uh, Galloping Ghost. Mm -hmm. So, well, guess what? There are now tracks for them, and it wasn't the Galloping Ghost people who created them. Nice. (laughs) So somebody's listening. But uh, anyway, Jimmy G, how would how many continues would you rate Elevator Well, I would rate it, but uh, there's a couple of things I, I still have yet to say. Oh, do tell. Well, first of all, my first memory, the first place I ever played Elevator Action, which you never asked, thank you. I know how much I mean to you. <laughs> hey, that's the rule of the show. I shouldn't have to ask you. I has a sad. Um, was at the Putt-Putt Golf and Games on Essington Road in Joliet, Illinois, which, uh, as I say, RIP, the place is no longer there. Uh, the ice cream place that came along uh, a couple of years after they opened is still there. But uh, Putt-Putt Golf and Games is long gone, sadly. And the, the funny thing is, is, I remember right exactly where in the arcade the elevator action machine was. I only remember where four of the machines in that arcade were. And that would be Zaxxon, which was along the wall when you first walked in. No, five machines. Uh, then Reactor was in front of you. There was like a, That was in a four-game island. The next four-game island had elevator action. The next four-game island overhead, Cubert, against the back wall toward the golf course, the mini golf course, was Robotron. Also, we didn't mention the the home systems it was on. I did mention that there wasn't a version of it on the NES, which I considered the NES and the Sega Master System the last of the classic consoles. But a prototype of elevator action, a very well-done prototype of elevator action, uh, was found for the Atari 2600, and nobody knew that it was actually on Atari's released lists when they found it. And apparently, uh, later investigations showed it was on, uh, and uh, Phil, you might want to help us out with this. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Elevator Action was on the release list for the Atari 7800. Uh, as for the 2600 prototype, I was reading about this, and apparently, from what I was reading on Wikipedia, Wikipedia says that the prototype was released and sold illegally. Uh, which I thought interesting. I did not click the uh, link uh, at the end of that particular sentence, which uh, led to more information about it. But uh, the prototype is like 80% done. There is one big 
flaw in it where if you jump, you can stay hovering in midair if you hold the joystick up. If you get shot by an enemy agent and you push up on the joystick while you're in the middle of the death animation, it uh, will forget that you died and you can just keep on going and keep on playing the game. Uh, other than that, they did a really knockout job on this. It looks like the arcade game, plays like the arcade game, and fortunately doesn't sound like the arcade game. At least it doesn't have the music, if I don't rem- if I remember correctly. Uh, but they did an excellent, excellent, excellent job on that. But overall, Elevator Action, you were asking for my rating, is a fun game, but it's just falls in kind of the generic spectrum, I think. It's a middling game. There's nothing really terribly memorable about it. You could do worse, you know, but you you, you could spend your uh, your hard-earned tokens on worse games. Ooh, I just knocked something over. Uh, you could spend your hard-earned tokens on worse games in the arcade, but, you know, I guess it's worth, it's worth a play once in a while, but it's just not, I think, a very memorable game. I have to rate it a three. And I'm going to have to go all along with that. I also rate it three continues. It could be a fun game. It it really could be. But something about it just doesn't make me say, yeah, I got to keep playing. I got to keep playing. Got to play it again. Got to play it again. When I was playing it for prep for this episode, I usually ended up playing a couple of rounds and saying, yeah, you know what? I'm going to play Mr. Do. (laughs) Wait, you were playing. Seriously, I I am addicted to Mr. Do. You hear that, Phil? Sorry, Phil. <laughs> I like Ninja Golf, too, by the way. I've got to play that one. So have you any more um, stuff? I, see, I always ask if you have anything more to say, but I got to change that up. It's getting too dry. One last thing about Elevator Action. It was followed up by a sequel. It was called either Elevator Action 2 or Elevator Action Returns. And uh, this time, it, the building doesn't just go up and down, but you go across multiple buildings and uh, it was more of a kind of a, a platform uh, beat-em-up than it was elevator action, but it was still had all of the elevator action elements in place. Yeah, there was elevator action returns in 1994 and elevator action EX in 2000, and that was specifically for the Game Boy. Ah, well, I was talking arcade, uh, but uh, I think the <clears> other <throat> ones did come out. I did think do think it did come out for other consoles as well, but there you go, so... And speaking of the uh, Elevator Action Returns, in uh, Chris Plus Plus's classic gaming book cast, mm-hmm. I, I just want to share this quote here. I find the 1994 sequel to be substandard, partly because I still can't find Gene Wilder among the characters. Bring him back, Taito, so that he and I can take an elevator through the ceiling into the sky. Oh, I see what he did there. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was wondering where he was going with that. All right, so that's it. Elevator action, three, th- three and three. three continues, three continues. Bam, done. Let's Booyah. talk about game number two, so, which is Berserk. Whoa, just flew right by me there. How's that for a quick transition? That was the Evelyn Wood of uh, transitions there. All right, how about this? We are going to talk about Berserk. There, I said that sternly. No, I'm not getting it. Let's talk about Berserk, shall we? Is, uh, is really, it's actually one of the simplest game concepts in the arcade. You got this guy, and you're in a maze with robots. And the object of the game is to kill as many robots as you can and exit out the one of the three exits. The control panel, simple as possible, a four-way joystick and a fire button. Boom. The ways you can die in this game are walking into the enemy robots. Oh, and I did forget to mention, 
that if you take too long in a maze to, if you take too long to clear out a maze and get out, a bouncing happy smiley face comes out and bounces around the maze and he tries to jump on top of you and crush you. And his name is Evil Otto. And he was voted like number 78 on the one on a list of 100 most most evil video game characters of all time, which uh, I thought fascinating. And um, you can't kill Evil Otto. He is indestructible, which is rare for a video game character to be indestructible. The only other game that has that would be uh, Robotron. Uh, that game has a character called the Hulk, not to be confused with Marvel Comics. But uh, the ways you your character can die in this game, and your character has no name, which I thought interesting, is to be shot by an enemy robot, to walk into an enemy robot, or to walk into one of the walls in the maze. Yes, the maze walls are electrified. Interesting thing, too. Uh, the best way to get away from Evil Otto and Berserk is to... He will always come in from the door in which you entered the current maze you're in. He enters through the same door you entered in. You cannot go back through, the, you cannot go out the way you came in. That door is blocked off once you go into a maze. The best way to do it is to avoid getting crushed by Evil Otto is to go out the, the door on the exact opposite side of the screen. If you came in the left door, go out the right. If you came in the right, go out the left. Try not to go out the top and the bottom doors because Evil Otto just doesn't sail across the screen. He does a bouncing motion. And bouncing, he goes up and down while he's also moving left and right, and he bounces uh, more vertically than he does horizontally. So if you try to get out one of the top or bottom mazes, unless it's an emergency, don't do it, uh, because he, because his bouncing motion will get you if you try to get out one of those doors. So try to always go out the left or the right-hand door, whichever one is open. I was also researching this, and <laughs> of all things, I found this information. I'll have to grab the website. I don't have it here with me, but it was... Uh, it was a Robotron website, of all places, uh, where they're talking about Berserk. And there is a point-pressing method in this that was used to... Wait, hold on, hold on. This week in Robotron. Okay. Um, there is a point-pressing method that was used in Berserk to uh, set the world record a long time ago. And uh, apparently Twin Galaxies, from what I understand, accepted it uh, at the time. I don't know if they since rescinded it, but... It's all about the way that it draws the maze. The maze has, you know, obviously it has its outside wall, but then it's got eight points in this in the screen where it can connect a maze to. Like there will be four along one horizontal line and then a second uh, set of four along another one. They're evenly spaced, and it will randomly draw, randomly draw the maze. What happens, though, is it randomly draws the maze, but it randomly draws them in the same order. Every time, uh, which was, uh, I mean, that, that sounds weird, but that's pretty much how back then random number generators worked on computers and arcade games and whatever. I recall I one time was uh, when I was doing some messing around with basic programming on the uh, Coleco Atom. Um, I was writing a program that had a use of a random number generator and it would always randomly generate the same number. And I'm like, this is supposed to be random. Why is it this random? That's the way random number generators work. They were random numbers, but just the way they work, they would always spew out the same random numbers. So they were random without being random, if, you, if, if, if that makes any sense. So what happens, the way this point pressing thing works. Now, remember, I said that each maze has four doors and you cannot go out the one that you came in. So the way it works 
is then you're in maze A, and the robots are where they are. So you don't exit the very most right-hand exit, which is the strategy you should be using. What you do is you go out the bottom exit, kill off all the robots there, then you go out the left exit, kill the robots, go out the upper exit, kill the robots, and go back to the right. You're basically making a, path, a square path, and all of the mazes are the same, and all of the robots appear in the same places when you go through each room. And that's how I guess how this guy got this uh, got this one world record on Berserk. And um, I don't know. I don't know if I consider that exploiting a flaw in the game. I guess it technically is, but I mean, nothing saying you can't play the game that way. Most people don't, so I I don't see it as actually being a problem. It's not like the one we're in Donkey Kong, we just keep jumping in that one spot to rack up a hundred points every time. I think this is a little bit different. Well, but. it is a little bit different because in Donkey Kong, you are limited because your time runs out. Mm -hmm. But on Berserk. There's no limit to how many times you could do this, what they call a box pattern. Right. And for the record, Twin Galaxies has four different tracks, like two that allow it and oh, okay. two that don't. Okay. And uh, and whoever did it originally, either if they did decide not to keep records for that, then that guy's score is long gone. Either that or somebody has overtaken it in recent years. Well, I understand the, uh, the score was like a million some points. And uh, Berserk is not a very high scoring game. Uh, if, no. if you get rid of all of the robots in a particular maze, you get a bonus of 10 points per robot. You get a bonus of 10 points per robot, but you cannot collect the bonus until you leave the maze. Uh, if you get, I think you have to leave the maze without dying. Without too. dying. So if Evil Auto gets you or a stray bullet from the last one or whatever gets you before you leave the maze, you don't get the bonus. I believe that's... And you only get 50 points. And when you actually kill the robots or any robot dies, it's only 50 points. Yeah, not a very high-scoring game at all. I think the one thing that we do need to mention about, the first of all, this is not a very horribly colorful game. Uh, the maze is blue. The uh, Your character is green, I believe. Yeah, kind of a light green. And then there's like eight different colors of the robots, and you can tell what kind of level you're on just by the uh, the, the color of the robots. Well, it depends on which version of the game you're playing. There are two different versions. That is true. The earlier ROM, I believe, only had four different colors for the robots. Yellow, red, and light blue. And here's the interesting thing. The game was actually programmed as a black and white game because it came out right at the tail end of the, uh, the, the black and white arcade games when they were just starting to go color, if I'm not mistaken. It could be that uh, Stern was also new to the arcade game the, to the video game uh, industry at the time, which Stern, I think, is the only company that still makes um, non-gambling games for the arcade at this point. Granted, it's all pinball, but they're still an ongoing concern. Fortunately, they're not the only pinball company in the world anymore. They're not even the only pinball company in the Chicago area. No, they aren't. Stern is in Elk Grove Village, by the way. Same place where Harry Schmirler, your singing Ford dealer, used to be. Rockabye, your baby. Hi, I'm Harry Schmirler, your singing Ford dealer. Look it up on uh, fuzzymemories.tv. But um, the way I understand it is it was black and white, but then they saw all these games in color coming out, and they're like, we need to put color on this. And they put a card in there to where it actually made things in color, overlaid colors over it. I think it was specifically Defender that made them decide, yeah, yeah, maybe we yes. should try this color thing. Yes, that's the story that I read. And, uh, but the most fascinating thing about Berserk isn't so much the gameplay. It's simplistic gameplay, but uh, it's, it's addictive. It's certainly not a bad game. 
Not by a long shot. It's not a very colorful game, not by a long shot. But I think the thing that most people remember this for, other than Evil Auto, is the fact that this was one of the earliest games with voice. The guy from the 7800 Game by Game podcast? You talking to me? You talking to me? Well, I am the only robotic voice around here, so you must be talking to me. So out with it already. Ah, I see what you did there. No. This this voice was nowhere near as clear or um, as suave as the voice on the 7800 Game by Game podcast. That voice is very, very suave and smooth. Uh, certainly a lady killer. Um, we're talking about Berserk and robots that kill people. Uh, forget that I said that. The funniest thing, I don't ever remember this because I, I must not have caught it when it did this uh, in the early times, and I did catch it in MAME, is in the attract mode, when it shows the high score screen, it will say, coin detected in pocket. Coin detected in pocket. <laughs> and it will say stuff like, ha-ha uh, uh, humanoid, ha-ha intruder. Actually, I think, I think it was saying, got the humanoid, got the intruder. Got the humanoid, got the intruder. I always thought it was saying ha-ha, but I think you're right. I think it, it is saying got them. I always thought it said ha-ha, but maybe that's just the way I heard it. But they uh, it would say intruder alert, intruder alert, before Evil Auto would come out. Intruder alert, intruder alert. If you killed all of the robots in the maze and you left the maze, and it would say uh, the humanoid must not escape. The humanoid must not escape. Uh, if you left the maze without killing all the robots, it would say, Chicken, fight like a robot. Chicken, fight like a robot. And um, during the course of the gameplay, uh, it would say stuff like, Get him, Get him. or kill him, kill him, or stuff like that. Uh, and the game would just, like, talk to you like that. It was just I thought that was, that was always kind of cool. And the, the robotic way in which it did that just totally fit the game concept. It was totally unique for its time. And what's really interesting about it, and I never even realized this until recently, is that the different voices are basically the robots communicating with each other. I did not realize that, but it makes sense. I did not realize that. It, that actually makes perfect sense if you think of... Yeah, Especially since yeah, sometimes the pitch yes. changes just a little bit. And um, as long as we're talking about this, uh, you know, I, can't say, I can't say I remember the very first place I saw this. Good, because uh, I just wanted to add more to the voice thing. Apparently, that speech synthesis was very, very, very expensive to use for that yes, game. Yes, I was read. I was. Yeah, we must have been reading the same resource because I, we probably because they were saying uh, they figured it out where it cost like a thousand dollars per word said yeah. uh, for the speech synthesis, and uh, the guys at Stern were like, "Ah, screw it." We'll put it in. We'll just see if we can use as few words as possible and just manipulate them. <laughs> yeah, and it, and, it, and it totally worked. It totally worked, and it's. Oh, yeah. it, and I think that's the thing that the pe people will most remember about this game. I wanted to say a few things here because uh, we talk about where the first time we saw this game was, and uh, the first time we played it. And honestly, I can't remember either of them. I want to think I first saw it in a truck stop, but I remember the first time I saw it, and I saw some kid playing it, and the character ran into one of the electrified walls, and it made this sound. And your character would, like, flash. And I remember the first time I saw that, and I was shocked at the violence. I was, I was like, I think I was, like, 12 when I saw this. And I was just shocked at the violence. And, of course, now you see, uh, you know, they got the Mortal Kombat games where you can rip someone's spine out. But it was just shocking to me at the time. And apparently uh, a couple of kids 
through the course of gaming history, actually had heart attacks while playing this game, or soon after playing the game. Uh, whether it was related to the game or not, uh, Berserk does get the reputation for being the only video game to have killed people. Ah, uh, yes. And by people, you mean person. Person. I thought there was yeah. a couple of incidents. Well, yeah, let me let me talk about that. Probably the other person that you're referring to is um, Jeff Daly. Mm-hmm. The story is that in January 1981, Jeff Daly scored 16,660 points and uh, made the uh, the high score table, put his initials in, and he died of a heart attack just a few seconds after the game was done. He was 19 years old. Now, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. First of all, there's absolutely no evidence, no backup evidence whatsoever, at least I, that, that I could find uh, on the internet or, or anything. And I've been looking this up for years. It's not just for prep for this show. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say where he was. Actually, one source that I read said that he was allegedly good friends with the other guy who died ah. after playing this. But there's no information as to where where it was, what the arcade was, not, not even what country it was for that matter. That's true. And also just the fact that the score has 666 embedded in it kind of adds to the fishiness. It's like, ooh, there was a 666 in his score and, it, <laughs> and he died. Oh, gosh. Yeah, there was a lot of that crap going around back then. It's just not believable. The other person that you're probably thinking of is Peter Burkowski, and that... I have absolutely no reason to doubt. Now, this happened in April of 1982. I think the anonymous source that we have told me that it was October 1982, but no, it was not October 1982. Was the source wearing a Guy Fox mask? I am not at liberty to say. Oh, well, that must not have been totally anonymous then. The reason that October 1982 is a frequently cited date is because that is the date of an issue of Video Games Magazine. Uh-huh. And that issue had an article about that. In fact, I'll put a link to the article in the show notes. Now, here's what happened according to the article. The article says that Peter Burkowski arrived at about 8.30 p.m. with a friend at Friar Tuck's game room in Calumet City, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. That was Saturday, April 3rd. And April 3rd did indeed fall on a Saturday in 1982. Mm-hmm. This might be the whole where the whole thing about how Jeff Daly was a friend. It might Someone might have thought he was the friend. I don't know. Now, according to the article, Peter Burkowski was apparently healthy, quote-unquote. And uh, I have something to say about that in a second, too, by the way. <laughs> and uh, he had aspirations to be a doctor someday. Now, as the story goes, he had been playing Berserk for about 15 minutes and that he had uh, put his name on the high score table twice, if not more. Mm-hmm. Then he he's like, yeah, I, I want to play something else. So he turned away from the game, took a few steps, put a quarter in another game, and then collapsed. And by about 9 p.m., he was dead. Wow. The coroner said that it was a heart attack. If there's anything that casts any doubt to this story, it's this detail. Uh, the coroner was Lake County Deputy Coroner Mark Allen. Do you see anything wrong with that? Wait, wait, wait. Run that by me again. Lake, Lake, Like Lake County as in Lake County, Illinois? Doesn't matter. Where's Calumet City? That's in Cook County. It's in Cook wait, County. So why the hell would they call... I guess... Is that Porter County lived? just across the border from there? Porter County, I Indiana? I don't know. It could have been that he lived in Lake County. That's possible. Maybe that's what it was. I don't know. But uh, according to um, Deputy Coroner Mark Allen, uh, the autopsy revealed that there was scar tissue on his heart that was at least two weeks old. Mm-hmm. 
So he's thinking, okay, it was probably stress that may may have tipped him over the edge into the heart attack. Possible. Possibly stress that and was honestly, involved. Honestly, if in- you've ever seen, if you've never played Berserk before, and you and you you play it for the first time, and you see your character get killed, that is pretty sh- well. Pardon the pun, but that is pretty shocking. Uh, it is a unique death. It's not gory or anything like that, but just the kind of the the sound and sight of electric death is uh it can be pretty shocking if you've never seen it before. The same thing happens in Millipede too, another in another way, and some people don't like that. Anyway, um something interesting about the article is that half the article kind of explains like how you can't really use video games as a scapegoat. Because it says, hey, many, many, many things cause stress. And it talks about how there was there was another kid to whom they attributed a death to from video games, but it turned out he was studying for a final at the time. And somewhere there in the go. room he was, there happened to be a video game. And uh, so that's how that Just got like started. Just like all of the uh, rumors from the uh, from the 90s where people were uh, accusing uh, Beavis and Butthead cartoons for making people set fire to things, despite the fact that after more research was done, there was no connection ever found. Yeah, and uh, they they were banned from using the word fire, too. So and They eventually fire. snuck it back in, though, I noticed. But uh, anyway, <laughs> now, just going off on the same story, Alan McNeil, does that name ring a bell? Not off the top of my head. He is the developer of Berserk. Now, uh-huh. the story that he tells, he said, according to Alan McNeil, Burkowski, Peter Burkowski was obese, which kind of gets me scared here. I'll, I'll tell you why in a second. And apparently he had to go upstairs to play Berserk, and apparently he ran up the stairs. Uh-huh. And he had been out of breath from the second he arrived at Friar Tuck's. Mm-hmm. So, no, if we're going to believe the story, then he was not apparently healthy, as the article said. Yeah. And also... He was in the middle of playing Berserk when he had collapsed. He didn't even reach the high score table. He didn't even he didn't even finish the game. I mean, think about it. If he did, then we probably would have had an idea of what at least one of his scores was, right? You would think, yeah. But uh so mm. that's that's just interesting. So I'll tell you what, anybody can find any evidence of the Jeff Daly story, like actually happening, any further details, that would be amazing. Send That'd us be amazing. the deets. Yeah, as the send kids us the today deets. say. Yep. And uh, by the way, just to uh, catch up on a few things, uh, Alan McNeil also developed, um, he also did, well, I I don't know if he was the developer, but he was definitely the designer of Berserk. He also did Frenzy, big shock there, (laughs) and a couple of older games for Midway. He did Seawolf 2, which is a uh, Amir Crosshairs at a boat shooter. uh, shooter. Oh, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. And he also did... Boot Hill, which looks dangerously close to what Outlaw, Outlaw was on the 2600. Yeah, I'm actually familiar with that one. Frenzy is definitely a game we have to talk about because oh, yeah. it is, for as much as I like Berserk and I really like it a lot, Frenzy just takes that amplifier and turns it to 11. It's, it's That's a great game. I'm not going to say anything more about it, but if you like Berserk, you will love Frenzy. Oh, I think so. Yeah, I so at any so. rate... Continue. But at uh, any rate, uh, going back to episode, I think it was episode nine when we talked about uh, Lost Tomb, and you had asserted that it was very likely a continuation in the Berserk series. Mm-hmm. Well, Alan McNeil didn't actually design Lost Tomb. Dan Lee designed Lost Tomb. Okay. He did a bunch of pinball machines for mm-hmm. Stern, like Gilligan's Island and Bugs Bunny's Birthday Ball. I think Underground Retrocade has both of those. I know they have the Bugs Bunny Birthday one. Yes. Yeah, because not once, but twice, I hit the 50 million bonus. Nice. And he also did a video game called Super High Impact. Oh, I know that yeah. way. Yeah, that so. one. Yeah, sure. Never played it, but I know it. Yeah. 
Oh, and something else that we we didn't mention is, uh, you know what inspired Berserk? He was saying that, it, uh, when I was reading, it was something about a dream that he had. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing because there's other video, the other video game that I know that was inspired by a dream was Tempest, uh, actually. Really? Huh. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the, I think it was Ed Log was talking about how he had this dream of like these bizarre aliens coming out of something and, and attacking him. And huh. dreams, I would say, especially in the early days, dreams were probably a huge influence in uh, a lot of the early games. Yeah. And, uh, so I guess another inspiration was there was a game that was programmed in basic called robots, mm-hmm. which by the way, was called Daleks in the UK. Surprise, surprise. Exterminate. Yeah. That's the little tale about, uh, Alan McNeil, whose game Berserk was released on November 12th, 1980, by the way. You know what? Shall we talk about uh, the different console versions of this? I believe we should. Uh, first of all, it was uh, out for the Atari 2600, which they did a very good uh, rendition of. I got to say, I was very impressed at the 2600. I hadn't played that for a long time, and I played it at, at the arcades, like both at uh, Galloping Ghost and at Underground Retrocade for a while. And then I got home and I watched uh, Kilbaka from Atari Age. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was streaming a world record attempt on the hard variation on the 2600. Oh, nice. And I was like, wow, this looks really, really awesome. Because I hadn't played the 2600 version in a while. But it occurred to me, the graphics in the arcade Berserk are nothing to write home about. So no, it's, they're very, very basic. So Easily it's not really hard to reproduce on any system. The, uh, the only real differences between the, uh, the arcade and the 2600 version are the 2600 version doesn't talk, but we'll get, we'll get back to that. Uh, we'll have a uh, addendum to that one in just a moment. The walls, uh, the lines for the walls are fatter than they are in the arcade, and there are fewer walls to make up the maze. I was saying how there's eight points Uh, on two levels in the arcade to make up the different numbers of uh, mazes that you can do in Berserk. There's only, I think, four, uh, two on each level in the Atari 2600 version, uh, if I recall correctly. Actually, yeah, that would be correct, because I'm thinking about, because uh, there's not that many mazes the 2600 version draws. In fact, they repeat pretty fast. Uh, Not so much with with Berserk, if you're not doing the... uh, the uh, the box pattern thing as, as we talked about earlier. What's the other difference? Well, before we go to that, though, I want to mention that there was a version for the Atari fifty two hundred, and it controlled surprisingly well with the stock fifty two hundred controller, which everybody complains about is it's pretty bad. But uh, with some practice, you can you can actually really learn to use that thing to its uh, to its maximum potential. And it actually included most of the voice. It didn't have like the little incidental stuff, but like. When you died, it, it had its had the the voice. When you left the maze, it had the voice and everything, and that was uh, adapted for the Atari eight bit computers. But I was mentioning how the Atari twenty six hundred version doesn't have the voice, and that is true. The Atari twenty six hundred version released by Atari does not have the voice. However, somebody at Atari Age hacked it to where there is actually a Berserk VE. Edition. The VE stands for Voice Enhanced, and that is without any additional hardware add-ons. And I believe you can still order. Really? Uh, I believe so, and I believe you can still order that from the Atari Age store uh, if you are so inclined. And I had mentioned last, I believe, last episode for people to check out the Atari Age store. Well, first of all, to be a member of Atari Age, but definitely check out the store because they got 
they got so much neat stuff in the in the store for all the different various Atari systems. And uh, let me just see if they still got the Berserk one here real quick. Yes, they do. It's under Hacks. It's under Hacks, and it's only 25 bucks. That is a good price for something like this. And uh, it does not require additional hardware. Yeah, it doesn't say anything about the uh, voice uh, the voice module, which is good because you can't get that anymore. Uh, no, you can't. It's listed in the store, but it's out of stock. There was one other difference that I didn't hear you mention between the, the uh, 2600 version and the arcade version. Well, the 2600 version does have some variations which you can shoot Evil Otto and kill him. Yeah. What else? Uh, those are the only ones I can think of. In the 2600 version, the robots cannot fire diagonally. Oh, yes, that is correct. They can fire diagonally in the arcade, but not in the 2600 version. Although the you can. You can. You yeah. can still fire diagonally. Oh, you know what I love about the 20, especially about the 2600 version that is in common with the arcade version? There's something that a lot of people probably think is a bug, but I'm thinking it's not. And apparently, I know exactly the hum- what you're talking about. The humanoid is apparently Canadian. <laughs> South Park reference. Because the head is not connected to the body. There is a space between them. I know in the 2600 version, and I've heard reports that this is the same on the arcade version, if you line it up carefully, an enemy's bullet will go right through your neck and not kill you. Try that in real life and see how that far that gets you. <laughs> no, don't, 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 because I don't have good liability insurance. There is one other interesting trick on the 2600 version. If you position uh, your humanoid against an entrance close enough to where you're still in the maze, but you're not going through to the other one, and you shoot into the entrance, your bullet will wrap around to the other side of the screen. Ah, yes. One other thing we mentioned, and I believe we talked about it briefly on the, uh, maybe on the episode of the 7800 that we did, that there is, um, they released the game Frenzy for the Atari 7800, and as a bonus, it's got Berserk on it. Totally 100% homebrew, and Berserk, as you were saying, has the voice. It doesn't have all the voice or just uh, kind of like when you get killed or leave the maze. I seem to remember it has all the I haven't played it in a while, but I okay. seem to remember it has all the voice. I definitely want to get it. I definitely yeah. want to get it. That's on my list, but that's not a uh, it's not unfortunately a priority at this point, but uh, it's definitely on my list. This is a, a, nothing I didn't mention in the uh, 7800 episode that we did, but yes. I have one more spoiler for that. Uh-huh. So if you don't want to hear this spoiler, skip ahead about 10 seconds. When you start up the Atari 7800 Homebrew no. Frenzy slash Berserk, it plays the intro music from the Vectrex version of Berserk. Ah, uh, yeah, I believe you did mention that. I was not expecting that, but when I heard that, I, it uh, just that, blew my head. Yeah, that's something head. else. Berserk was on the Vectrex. I, I had no yeah, idea I had if that, that had the voice or not. It did not. A couple of things I do want to say about the Vectrex version. It's It was very faithful reproduction uh, of the uh, arcade version. I'm kind of curious how it did the uh, death sequence, because that was kind of uh, an interesting uh, effect in the arcade and on all of the other raster consoles. I seem to remember it's pretty similar. You can see it on YouTube, probably. Probably, but, yeah. Uh, Everybody could fire vertically and horizontally and diagonally, including uh-huh. the robots. I don't believe it had any variations where you could kill evil Otto, but something that was unique, I seem to remember that let's say you have a maze wall that's vertically oriented on the screen uh-huh. and it just comes to an end, your legs could actually touch that the top of the wall without you being electrocuted. Oh, interesting. Or maybe it was the maze entrance where you could do that, but I don't remember. But sometimes, I don't know if this is true of all versions, but I definitely remember in the Vectrex version, if you did that, like let's say you went through a horizontal, like a maze wall on the side, with your legs overlapping mm-hmm. the gate on the maze wall, you could get electrocuted at the beginning of the next maze. Oh, like interesting. Right away. Yeah. 
And something about the Vectrex, though, is that if it has too much going on in the screen, mm-hmm. the action slows down a little bit. So if you have a screen with a ton of robots and evil Otto, mm-hmm. everything slows down. So it's kind of weird. What's, uh, let's say we talk about some scores now. Um, okay, let's, did, didn't you have to, have to say anything further about consoles or homebrews or something before um, I interrupted you? No, I think I pretty much covered it. I did mention that uh, there have been homebrews on, on many different computers and game consoles, uh, but I, I pretty much covered all of the uh, all of the the main official ones. If for nothing more than a brief mention, there was also a Milton Bradley board game. Oh yes, the board game. I had that, and it wasn't really all that much fun. It really wasn't. Most of those generally were. There were a few exceptions. I liked the Zaxxon one. And on the Buckner and Garcia Pac Man Fever album, of course, there was a Berserk song on it called uh. "Going Berserk." In terms of scores, well, let's talk about high scores. Assuming extra lives at 5,000 and 10,000 points. I I don't know if I've ever made that far, by the way. <laughs> Not a very high-scoring uh, game. Yeah, my record on Berserk... Oh, <laughs> I don't have a record for Berserk, which means that I could you not suck? score. I, yeah, I sucked that badly that I didn't want to have. I didn't want to have it adjudicated. <laughs> but uh, according to Orcade.com, they, they they track fast bullets and slow bullets. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember if they spe- specify that uh, the box pattern is allowed or not allowed. But uh, let's see. The fast bullets record, according to Orcade, was performed at Fun Spot during Fun Spot Five on May 29th, two thousand three, by Donald Hayes who scored 123,680. Slow Bullets, they have the record as set by Tim Vermeulen. I've met him a couple of times, or at least once. Uh, he performed that at Underground Retrocade on July 18th, 2015, and his score was 195,000 on the dot. Now, Twin Galaxies have a little bit of deja vu going on here. Fast Bullets, where they allow patterns. Steve Wagner, I think we've mentioned him before. <laughs> Verified on April 12th, 2009, he scored 350,340. How in the world do you do that? Man, this is a low scoring game. Very carefully. Fast bullets with no pattern allowed. And by no pattern allowed, they mean that you cannot use any patterns whatsoever at any point during the game. Ron K. Bailey, verified June 30th, 1984, 104,680. Now, slow bullets, pattern allowed, Phil Younger, or maybe it's Younger or Younger. Don't know how it's pronounced, but it's spelled Younger. Verified October 4th, 2008, 401,130. Man, that's freaking high. Slow bullets, pattern not allowed, Grant F. Thieneman, or maybe Tieneman, depending on how German you want to say it. Verified July 30th, 2000, excuse me, July 31st, big difference, 2012, 199,860. Now, Twin Galaxies also has tracks that are for one life only versions of all four of those variations, mm-hmm. but only one of the tracks actually has a score as of the day we are recording this podcast. Slow Bullets, No Pattern Allowed, One Life Only, Joel D. West, and that's verified June 8th, 2013, with one life, 124,220. One wow. life. Wow. I know. Holy crap. That's a good score for this game. Especially with one life. I'm, yeah, I must never have even gotten 5,000 to get a bonus life. That, yeah, that's judging by that my arcade. Definitely a task to do. But uh, yeah, I really don't have any me- personal memories of Berserk. I know, I know that I have played the arcade version on and off over the years. It just didn't really. I, I just didn't think, wow, I remember playing this. Chances are it was Aladdin's Castle at the uh, Lincoln Mall. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I've played it several times at the two major arcades in the Chicago area. 
I was more familiar with the Atari 2600 and Vectrex versions. Yeah, I think more people were probably uh, familiar with those. But uh, as, as I mentioned, uh, I think the first place I ever saw it was in the was in a truck stop. And as I I kind of jumped when I saw the guy die for the first time, yeah. <laughs> shocked at the violence. Oh, I just thought of another difference between the uh, 2600 version and the arcade version. Oh, in most versions of Berserk, including the 20, I'm sorry, including the arcade version and the Vectrex version, when you exit the maze, the maze scrolls kind of in the in the opposite direction that you're moving, so it looks like you're actually moving. Right. Mm-hmm. The 2600 version, the maze kind of collapses, collapses, and then rebuilds. Yeah. So anyway, th- there you have it, James G. What more have you to say, if anything? I really have nothing more to say about Berserk. It's uh, it's certainly a classic, and um, it's really a very, very, very simple game. It draws you in. I mean, it's just got, I think, the right mixture of elements to uh, to be considered a classic. I don't know if it cracks the top tier, but uh, it's it's certainly a very strong four, in uh, in my opinion. Oh, is that your opinion? That is my opinion, and I'm sticking to it. Well, do allow me to share my opinion on this. I will allow you to. I, I agree that it's a classic, but at the same time, there's not really much to it. It's graphically simple. To me, I think the reason that, and this is the same reason that Dragon's Lair was always like, ooh, is that this game was a novelty and that it was one of the first to have speech. I don't know if this was the absolute first. I don't know if it predated Gorf and Stratovox. But it was definitely a first, and it's very memorable speech. And I think that's the reason people remember this game. It's because of the mm-hmm. speech synthesis. Because really, there's not much else to it. You just run around maze and shoot robots and score hardly any points. Mm-hmm. I will play this game again, absolutely. But the thing is, I don't really find myself wanting to repeat play this a lot. I'm going to give it a three. Three continues. Hmm. Wow, that's kind of a surprise. I kind of figured you'd go a little bit higher on that, but I definitely see your point, and you have some good uh, points on that. Of course I have good points. I'm indoor Kino. So with that, I say that we shall close the book on this episode. What do you say? Um, I say we close the book, and of course, in this day and age, it is an e-book, so you can't really hear me close it. We do have a theme for this episode, by the way, as every episode does. Do tell. Do tell. Well, I certainly will. Both games have a character named Otto. You didn't say anything about that. Well, no, I didn't. But in Berserk, it's Evil Otto. And in Elevator Action, Agent 17, his code name is Otto. Uh, what? Okay, what is it with Otto in video games? So it's these two games. There's only two letters to remember, I guess, so they can save bites. Could I be. don't know. And what was the original Ms. Pac-Man? Crazy Otto. Crazy Otto. And of course, and I know this is stretching things a little bit, but the Simpsons video game has Otto in it. That is true. That is a bit of a stretch because they never do mention his name in the arcade game, although we all know who it is. Yeah, but still, that's four video games I can think of off the top of my head with a character named Otto. What is the fixation with Otto? There's only two letters to remember. It's kind of, and also, while we're on this subject, this is totally off topic, but I know we have some music fans who listen to us, but I want to know this. Speaking of fixations on the name Otto, what is it with late 50s and early 60s bands and musicians with the word Dell in the name? The Dell Vikings, Dick Dale and the Dell Tones, the Dell Phonics, the Wisconsin Del Dells, the Wisconsin Dells. Yeah, a great polka band from Wisconsin, if I'm not mistaken. What is the, what's the Dell thing? What's the deal? What's the Dell? So I think shall we we shall uh, mention that uh, we do have another episode coming out in a couple of weeks. 
And uh, yeah, we do. Yeah, and uh, we've already decided what games we're going to talk about. Now, here's the thing. It, what games we talk about basically depend on how things unfold. We're not going to get into it right now, but the future of our next two episodes is uncertain in terms of the direction they're going to go. Now, we have four games definitely in the running that we're going to be talking about yes. up, coming up soon. We will be talking at some point about the following games. We will be talking about Satan's Hollow. We will be talking about Xenophobe, or is it Xenophobe? I, I always know. said Xenophobe, because in a geology class that I was in, we always talked about xenoliths. Xeno means alien, so, of course, Xenu is the, the evil guy in uh, in Scientology, but we'll talk about that later. We are not going to talk about that. Oh, no, yeah. that's right. We're not talking about that, because we love Scientology. At some point, we will be talking over some episodes about, what we say, Xenophobe, Satan's Hollow, Tron, and I believe Rampage, and I think, I hope we can get to Uncle Pooh before long. Oh, yes, Uncle Pooh, which, interestingly, is uh, one of the reasons why I have to visit the bathroom here in just a moment. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, and I have to visit the Tinkle Pit. Mm, visit the Tinkle Pit with Uncle Pooh. <laughs> yeah, so uh, having said that, uh, I guess I'm going to sign off and go use the Tinkle Pit. This is uh, Sean, I'm sorry, this is Indoor Kino. And about to visit Uncle Pooh, this is Jimmy G. And we will see you all in a few more weeks. Yes, we're actually going to see you. Yes. Ooh, we have eyes. We can see for miles and miles and miles. Oh, shoot, there's another Who reference. Oh, well. Don't. Bye. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L, composed by Sean Courtney. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via the Facebook page, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or the show notes page on piefactorypodcast.com. Last time someone was listening to Galloping Ghost podcast, obviously. That's why those tracks are there. That's true. Uh, which, as I said, that's a good podcast to listen to. It's very, you think we're informal. They're very informal on their show, which is quite refreshing, actually. They don't really have a yeah. set format, which I really, I yeah. actually like, so... Yeah, it's kind of like the kind of like the first couple of seasons of Saturday Night Live. It's like a bunch of friends just getting together and shooting the shit. Yep, that's exactly what the Galloping Ghost podcast is like, and I like it. I like that format. That's that's technically a format, but I like that a lot. They actually do have shit guns too. Yeah, li literally, they're shooting it out across Ogden Avenue. But yeah, they're hitting cars all the time. On Ogden. Well, sometimes they hit the metro train. Well, those are with the uh, shit bazookas. It is chair time. Time to grab a chair, but in the meantime, it's chair time. And while this chair isn't comfortable, I will sit on it nonetheless, because I have that much consideration for my listeners, or do I? And I have a feeling that everything I'm singing is going to be an outtake. Hello, can you hear me? Hi, this is not an outtake. This is part of the show. No! 88.7 FM, WCSF, Hootie and the Blowfish. With time, thank you for tuning in. Ten minutes, uh, Ryan Palish comes in to rock your afternoon, I guess, drive you home. Whatever you want to say, whatever you want to do, I don't know. 740-3425, you can give us a call here at the station. Coming up, I have Glenn Fry and the latest uh, single, well, not really a single, but an EP from who else but the Beatles. And uh, coming up next, I have the weather, so stay tuned to Superstation WCSF where we keep you informed, and we're going to keep you more informed than you ever hoped to be. Is that good or bad? I don't know. You'll have to stay tuned to see. Thank you for listening. And WCSF weather for today. Partial clearing with a high in the mid-40s, and tonight, fair with near-record cold.
Yeah, earlier today it was supposed to be record cold. Now it's only near record cold. So that's good news for all you warm weather lovers. And today's low will be the ranging from the upper 20s to the middle 30s. Right now it's 46 degrees here on 88.7 WCSF, your superstation. Coming up next, Rydog will be taking you home, taking you to your late shift, whatever, with only the greatest music that has ever been made within the past several weeks. You know, I think that's going to do it for me. Monday night, Endless Harmony, 6 o'clock. I'll be giving away uh, a prize or two, so uh, you'll want to stay tuned. It's the Monday Night Beach Boys show. I like to think of it as the Monday Night Beach Boys party, because that's what we're going to do. Just just turn it into a Friday night party, even though it's going to be Monday night at 6 o'clock. That will be my last ever broadcast here on the Superstation, so uh, you want yourself a collector's item for in 50 years when... Uh, like Sean Courtney paraphernalia is worth some money. You just want to tape it, you know, just get a tape ready. That'll be the last you'll ever hear from me at this station, WCSF. Coming up next, Rydog. Right now, let's go back to, let's see what it says here. 1993, Glenn Fry of the Eagles, of course, with Love in the 21st Century. And after that, we'll have a Beatles tune for you. I like the Beatles. How about you? 88.7 FM WCSF, you want to give us a call, 740-3425.